Hi, this is Sarah from Little Tart Bake Shop in Atlanta. I want to tell y'all about the third annual cookie grab that is happening right now. Um, we have raised over the past two years over $50,000 for Planned Parenthood Southeast um, through a fundraiser that basically links up Atlanta's best bakers, pastry chefs, and chefs. And what we do is we all, uh, there's 26 of us this year. It's our biggest box ever. It's like 10 more cookies than last year. We um, each bake a cookie uh, and you get a box that has one of each cookie from 26 bakers. So you get a box of 26 cookies. Every single dollar that you spend on that box goes to Planned Parenthood Southeast. It stays in the uh, in Planned Parenthood in our community. Some of that money has helped the, uh, fund the center in East Atlanta. It's, uh, so it's really awesome. We're selling them now through, um, basically through like February, until we sell out, but through early February. And then they'll be available for pickup at uh, locations around town, including Little, Tar Little Tartan Summerhill, um, Octane on the West Side, Sun in My Belly. And then also this year we have a pickup in Athens. So if anybody is listening from Athens, you can buy a cookie box and pick it up at the expat. So uh, they are $60. And if we sell all 500, which I'm confident we will, we will raise $30,000 for Planned Parenthood Southeast. So buy a cookie box for, you know, your friends, your office, your... Uh, your significant other because we're picking them up on uh, the 13th and 14th. So Valentine's Day and Valentine's Day. And if you want to find out more, you can go to Little Tart Instagram, Little Tart's Instagram. We're going to have a link right at the top of where you can buy a cookie box and that'll send you to Planned Parenthood's website. And he looked at me and he said, to hell you're not. He said, until you know what you want to do in life, you're going to come work for me. And so there I was, first day on the job, Panos and Paul's, of all places. Uh, busiest fine dining restaurant in the city. Every night was a Saturday night, meaning full capacity. And he looked at the chef on day one. He said, I don't want you to treat him any different than anyone else. And walked away. Welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast, stories from the people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Often you'll see a show or read about a family that has built restaurants from the ground up and grew large outfits and teams and so on. And when you're getting into years in business that are well past 20, 30, and edging on 40 years, now you're into something remarkable and something that has defined culture within a culinary community. And Chef Pano's story begins with the story of his family. They have imprinted the Atlanta culinary community for almost four decades through their restaurant group, Buckhead Life. And his expression come from his family's roots at his restaurant, Kima. And they show huge passion for how he grew up. Now we sat down in the dining room of his restaurant in late 2018. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Chef Pano. I'm really excited to sit down and chat with you, Chef. This is really cool. I mean, and again, like I think I mentioned this before we actually kicked off. It's actually been a while since I've been here. So, and I've never really had a chance to, um, obviously, you know, hear so much of your story. And I'm really excited to jump into your background. But, uh, but introducing you, Chef Pano, welcome to the Atlanta Foodcast. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you. This is, this is a huge honor. I mean, um, so much history in this restaurant, let alone Buckhead Life. I mean, which is, you know, a, um, a large 
I mean, a crazy large group. I mean, I'd say like pretty, um, pretty prolific work, you know, in terms of dining in Atlanta and you, you and your whole family have so much history here and it's, um, it's really exciting for, for me to have you on the show. I mean, this is a, this is a huge honor. So, (laughs) well, good. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're going to get into a lot of your background. We'll obviously talk a lot about, um, your menu, your, your approach to, you know, your, your restaurant here at Kima. And then also, um, obviously want to jump in to hear a lot about your cookbook and I'm really excited to, to chat through that. And we're going to go through it page by page from front to front to back. And this is going to be a four hour episode, but <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Don't, don't worry. Um, but, uh, but I want to start just like I start every other episode. So I want to get to know you a little bit more and I want to hear a little bit about your background. So, um, your first inescapable question that you get here on the Atlanta food cast is who cooked for you growing up and what kind of cook was he or she? Uh, that would be my Yaya. And, um, when I was eight years old, she moved into the house and a Yaya means grandmother in Greek. So my mom's mother and, uh, she used to come home uh, every day from the grocery store and put together some of the most wonderful Greek-inspired dishes that I've ever had in my life. And I didn't know it at the time, but um, coming home from school, seeing her at the counter, jumping in with her, peeling beans, prepping carrots, potatoes, seeing her deal with the proteins, whether it was chicken or lamb, um, some exotic stuff, like I would come home and see a cow's tongue on the cutting board. Oh, man. Yeah. So, you know, she was uh, doing everything. And uh, she also wanted uh, for us to taste her sauces, taste the food. Does it need a little more salt, a little more oregano? Asking us as children if we liked it. So it was pretty amazing. And she had an amazing way of just pulling you into the kitchen without begging, asking, just basically tasting, you know, and asking you to move your hands a little bit and get involved. So there was a huge attraction. I used to come home from school every day, and first thing I wanted to do was turn left where the kitchen was. And I threw my books down, and I'd go right into the kitchen and see what Yaya was doing. And um, it was an awesome experience. Matter of fact, uh, I do I do write about it in the book, and uh, one of the one of the fun memories there's there's a there's a couple of them, but um, that I wrote is just the fact that here's my dad, and at that time he's building this you know empire, and no matter what was going on, he would just come home around four thirty, so that he could have dinner at five, and go back to the restaurant. Oh man! Little did I know course i look back now i know my dad so well he was coming home for that food (laughs) and uh (laughs) and then to see us right um but that's how good of a cook she was and uh you know it was i always say that my grandmother introduced me to cooking and my father introduced me to professional cooking gotcha and that's um that's so cool i love that you i mean just like kind of painting that picture you know in my head of of watching watching your yaya cook with her hands you know it's um it's so different you know the n- not necessarily saying that so much of like modern cooking is really like appliance driven or like you're you're out of touch but there was a different way that i mean even watching my my own grandmother make an apple pie she wouldn't use an 
automated peeler that attached to her stand mixer. She was using a paring knife that was probably really dull. You know, right. that's the only because that's the only way she knew how to do it. Exactly. You know, and so learning from from those people and especially the the technique, um, it's it's almost like it's a lost art, and it, it's it's something that is unspeakable, almost impossible to truly define. But I, f- I feel like that's what makes the food so good. Right. No, we want if you know we had bread every every night oh for for dinner, and she made it. And there was, it was, it was awesome to watch her in a bowl, kneading, pounding. My brother and I used to always go up to her and uh, pinch her triceps and we would joke around and say, <laughs> you know, yeah, you've got such big muscles, you know, and <laughs> That's awesome. she would tell us to shoe away and all that good stuff. But yeah, yeah. everything. It's, a, it's, some of it is a lost art, you know, being a chef and obviously getting into this business, um, you know, it's a, it's a job to sort of make sure none of that is lost. Mm-hmm. And um, where was home? So talk to me a little bit more about like where you grew up. Yeah. So my father, a lot of people know and don't know, was a, an executive chef and uh, did a lot of training and um, was being recruited at the same time that my mother was pregnant with me to go to Lake Ozark, Missouri. So the family who had years before came through Ellis Island and settled in Savannah uh, we're still there so my father told my mom hey go home so she went home to have me so I was born in Savannah Georgia oh gotcha and uh, you know shortly after we moved to uh, Lake of the Ozarks Missouri to join dad who'd already started his job and uh, my sister two years older than me uh, my brother came about a year later, Nico, mm-hmm. and uh, lived in Lake of the Ozarks, Missouri. Very, very, you know, rural town. Very, it was, we were surrounded by woods, 125 mile lake. Uh, to get to my, ja- d- my dad, we'd walk through the woods, we'd go through our golf course, and we were at the resort. Wow. And um, I, I literally lived a life from the time I was born until I was eight uh, of, of total freedom and not knowing anything outside of what it was like to go through the woods, swing, swinging on vines of the trees, meeting up with my friends, forts, um, eating wood sorrel in fields of, you know, the woods, and then finding things to do that was all just about nature. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we, would leave in, we would leave every single day at home in the morning, around 10 a.m., we'd say bye to mom, and we wouldn't come back till 5 o'clock. Man. Yeah. And what were you doing all day? That's what we were doing. <laughs> I mean, we found joy in all kinds of things of nature. Yeah. So whether it was, you know, rock climbing, um, finding a, a tree that had fallen um, and, and, and hanging out on top of it. Mm. and It's a pretty magical experience. It was. Yeah. You don't really was. get that a lot in the city. It's like a tree falls down, like it's gone in an hour because they got to get it out of the That's road. That's right. Yeah. No, we, we yeah. hung out on it. We played on it. You know, <laughs> we, we would find a way to build a fort on top of it. Oh, and, yeah. And that's the kind of life we had. If, if we, uh, we wanted to go fishing, we'd just go fishing. I mean, it was just what, whatever you wanted to do nature-wise, it, it was there for you. And we would find things that were built from kids before us teenagers before so this thing was full and um we'd always find our friends uh they lived miles apart so it wasn't house hmm. next to house next to house and um somehow or another i guess my my mom would keep up you know with where we were just with a, a simple phone call there's no cell phones back then obviously <laughs> right 
and um, and then somehow we'd always make it back home. <laughs> That's so. awesome. And you know, it's I. It's really interesting because I've spent a little bit of time in the Ozarks, and it's such a beautiful part of the country. It feels different it than um, than any other like mountainous region. You know, it's it's a very different, um, you know, just really verdant part of the country, and it feels like a different. It, it's it's really interesting as you continue to drive west and as you make your way into part of like Arkansas and you're just south of like Missouri and Kansas and um, it really starts to transform. Like it doesn't really feel like the South. It doesn't feel like you're in the in the Smokies or Asheville. No. Um, it just feels a little bit more of like this is kind of like we're getting closer to like the heart of the country. Right. And it's it's extremely like wild and beautiful in a really cool way. It so, is. Yeah. You know, was, you know, years later, I'm I'm working for Jean Georges Van Gerechten at the Trump. Mm-hmm. And uh, in his signature restaurant and, you know, we're putting wood sorrel on a on a sweetbread dish mm-hmm. and um, tasting the wood sorrel. And I said to myself, you know, why do I know this so well? And then I remembered that when that school bus would drop me off and my sister and we were walking home that somehow or another on that path, there was sorrel and somehow i don't know how we knew it but we would eat it and it was the most beautiful flavor that we would have and then Hmm. we'd we'd go home and i missed that flavor i didn't see it you know growing up in atlanta didn't cook within atlanta i didn't cook with it at uh culinary institute of america or even with eric repair at laverna and here i am at jean george and i'm in my 20s being reunited with lake of the ozarks yeah and Woodsorrel. it's the whole part of the, part yeah. of your childhood like boomeranging all the way back to <laughs> exactly. you man that's so cool um but i want to tell me a little bit more about your family because i mean i know that you grew up like cooking i mean i don't know if you were cooking alongside your father but i mean definitely in the restaurants and and in this i mean empire that you guys have built i mean and again you know you, you talk about you know dining in atlanta um at some point, Buckhead life makes its way into your timeline. the the amount of The amount of events that I have consumed the grilled cheese at Buckhead Diner, I don't know how many times I've had that because it is, I mean, it's it's an icon to me, you know. And I think you know that's um that just really speaks a lot of the the life that you guys have poured into Atlanta through a lot of the the restaurants and um, a lot of people might not know that you know Buckhead life is, I mean coming up on 40 years that's and right so but but tell me a little bit about like kind of growing up because i mean from a very young age i mean dude you're in the industry you right. know so you have a very interesting perspective you know some people like the culinary bug kind of finds them later in life but you have it from i mean formative years which is awesome so, so tell me a little bit more about like growing up in that kind of family yeah so you know in lake of the ozarks i never really saw my dad he works seven days a week so if i wanted to see him it would be to see him in his workplace, go to the brunch on Sundays, uh, pop in in his office. So when he came to Atlanta in 1979 and opened up Panos and Paul's, um, it was the first time that that connection became real. He wasn't working for anyone else. He was just working for himself. And you started to get this feel that things were different. Um, And so, you know, all of a sudden, you know, years pass and you're getting older and you're growing and you're learning what dad does and he's accomplishing a lot and people are starting to to recognize you as you know the son of a a father who's doing really well in a city um and you know it's 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 time for you to have that you know first summer job and um and so i even write about it in the book he came to me and he said uh you know pano i'm gonna give you a week summer's coming up and you need to have a job 
I want you to tell me what it is. So during that week, you know, I get together with my friends. We're doing some thought processes and the whole nine yards. My dad comes to me, sure enough, a week later. He's like, Pano, what'd you come up with? And I said, I want to work the counter at the TCBY Yogurts. And I wanted to do that because <laughs> yes. all the girls were coming. Right? And <laughs> if I have to work, I might as well be at a place where the girls are going to come. I'm going to give them the yogurt. My friends can stop by. We could all hang out and just have a good old time. And he looked at me and he said, to hell you're not. He said, until you know what you want to do in life, you're going to come work for me. And so there I was, first day on the job, Panos and Paul's, of all places. Uh, busiest fine dining restaurant in the city. Every night was a Saturday night, meaning full capacity. Wow. And he looked at the chef on day one. He said, I don't want you to treat him any different than anyone else. And walked away. And uh, I was 15. Wow. Everyone else was about 20, 21, right. you know, older. And uh, I immediately uh, just got my game face on. Um, I was an athlete, you know, so I, I played multiple sports. And I looked at this summer as, you know, hey, this is something I got to become good at. The next thing you know, every day you want to make yourself better. It's what happens, right, with an athlete or just anybody in the restaurant business. And uh, I couldn't wait to come to work every day. Hmm. And then all of a sudden, the restaurant bug hit me and the addiction. So um, that experience gave me what would be my life. In other words, I was still going to go to high school. I was still going to be an athlete. But every summer, I knew that I was going to be cooking in the kitchen. So I was going to play football in the spring. I was going to wrestle and play basketball in the winter. I was going to run track or play baseball. And I was going to cook in the summer. And I was going to do this for the next five years. Yeah, man, it's um, it's really, it, it's always really cool to hear, you know, what what was kind of like that moment where, you know, it's uh, you, your path can kind of diverge. You know, it's like, you know, if you, <laughs> I mean, I, I like the story of you working at the counter of TCBY. <laughs> I mean, I I actually, you know, um. Uh, God, coming up on close to like 10 years ago. I mean, I met my wife, you know, I was actually working, I was managing like a frozen yogurt shop <laughs> in go. Charlotte, North okay, Carolina. So, you know so yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe slightly more avant-garde than TCBY, <laughs> but like, you know, when you look at like those, those divergent paths and then, you know, this one, like kind of waiting for you, like maybe somewhat dormantly, but like there's like the culinary realm for right. you. Like, so I'm sorry, I do a lot of hand gestures and it's a podcast. I don't know why I'm doing that. I'm not like performing for anyone here, but, um, but it's, uh, it, it's really cool to hear that, you know, that's, it's, um, it's, you were kind of ushered into it, you know, and right. it's, but it, it's still there for you and you immediately had it there. Um, what, uh, what was your favorite position? Like when you started out in the kitchen? So he immediately had me doing prep during the day, and then I would do pantry at night. Oh, man. So, you know, I had like this mid-shift thing going on. Yeah. And um, Busy. Yeah. So my first job was to learn how to make chocolate crepes. And the pastry chef that was teaching me was, had a uh, convection oven, two of them, with nine cast iron pans in them. And the pans always stay in the oven. And one by one, you would pull a pan out just to get the process going. And you'd put the crepe batter in it, pop it in the oven, pull out another one, crepe batter, put it in the oven. Oh, and she would work nine pans. And by the time she got that ninth pan in, the first one was done. Wow. And she would just get this rotation done. It was one of the popular items on the menu. Mm. And since we were doing over 350 covers every night, you could easily sell 50 of the, uh, the crepes every day. Yeah. And, uh, of course, I was burning the tips of my fingers 
and yeah, I could iron. only I could only manage maybe two or three pans. Wow! So the job took forever, and um, you know it taught me immediately that um, I'm going to have to move and I'm going to have to go faster. Mm-hmm. And no matter how painful it is, and no matter how many times I'm burning my fingers, this has got to happen because if this person can do it, I can do it. Um, so that's the first memorable job of sort of like working, you know, in the prep. And yeah. then at night for service, um, the chef looked at me. I don't know why he wasn't a little bit more descriptive, but he said, hey, listen, I need you to, it was, it was you know, 530. The, the restaurant is like 50% full. And he's like, go ahead and open up six oysters. And uh, I opened up six oysters. About 15, 20 minutes later, the orders start coming in. And sure enough, I'm out of oysters. And he's, w- w- you know, how are you out of oysters? I told you open opened up six. And I said, I opened up six. And he was like, no, six dozen, six dozen. <laughs> Next thing you know, you know, there's someone else on my station bailing me out. He's yelling at me. Everyone's yelling at me. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know. I got to get my, my game right. on here, too, because I, I really stunk at opening up oysters <laughs> on day one. But, you know, they threw everything at me, and I'm glad that they did. Um, I worked long and hard, you know, to make up for it. And um, eventually, you know, I got, I, I got good. By the end of the summer, I knew what I was doing on the pantry, and I could do that prep job. I got to my nine pans. Yeah. It was, it was, it was an awesome feeling. Yeah. Man, you know, some of, the, some of my favorite positions I've worked in the kitchen have been either – you know, working veg prep and um, like having to get so much faster at, you know, like, like I need you to chiffonade basil faster, you know, like you're right. doing well, just do it faster <laughs> yeah. or making sauces, you know, like, like tilt the skillet as far as you can to get everything out of there, like giant tilt skillet, you know, like making whatever. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, just learning that you're doing a good job, but like you're only valuable to me if you work fast. Like exactly. I, that, that was the hard thing. And like, I obviously didn't continue into the, the, you know, the culinary world necessarily, at least in the kitchen. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I remember that, you know, just working for, working for guys that, um, you know, like they, they saw that you, you had like, you know, the skill It's just like, but you know, I, I've got people that are way faster than you. Like right. speed is what I need right now. Oh yeah. Big time. <laughs> that, that's only something that you get better at. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, tell me a little bit about, you know, you guys are, are building, you know, Buckhead life and, you know, just throughout the years, like how did you guys start to see the culinary scene in Atlanta start to morph or really evolve, I guess? Yeah. So, you know, um, back when dad started the company, I mean, there was no West side, there was no Inman park. Um, Midtown really didn't exist. Uh, downtown for sure. And uh, if you lived in Alpharetta, you were coming down to Buckhead, Marietta, Roswell. So it was at a time when you didn't have any of these neighborhoods that we have today. And that's something that, like, you know, people may or may not know. Um, so he looked at Atlanta. He opened up his passion, which was Panos and Paul's. And that was to open up a fine dining restaurant. It was within his background. That's all he ever trained on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, through Panos and Paul's, you know, he started to open up other restaurants for the city. Um, the first one that came to him was the fish market at Lenox. And uh, Lenox Mall really wanted a premier restaurant. And so they knocked on his door and, um, you know, they helped him build it. And next thing you know, he's got a fine dining seafood restaurant, white tablecloth. And uh, now he's got two. And um, a third opportunity comes along, and um, 
it's to take over the space that's now 103 West. It used to be a Brennan's back in the day. Hmm. And, um, you know, he got the help from his former employer of those seven years that he worked seven days a week and helped take a hotel resort from one star to four stars. And they loved him so much that they helped him with this restaurant. Hmm. Now he's got three. And uh, he started to look at Atlanta and he was like, okay, you know, we've got Panos and Paul's. We've got a fine dining seafood. We've got a fine dining French. And um, he said, Atlanta needs another Italian. And he created Capriccio's. Hmm. And then after that, he wanted to get into his first casual restaurant. And that's when uh, he teamed up with a designer out of San Francisco, Pat Coletto, and created the Bucket Diner. Hmm. And the Bucket Diner was the CNBC restaurant of Bucket back then. Mm -hmm. And uh, today it's still jam-packed restaurant. But back then, that was, that was where you went to the bar, and that's where you took your date, met, met a girl, met a guy, whatever the case may, may be. And he learned about upscale casual. Mm. Okay, He learned about you know, what the Buckhead Diner taught him. So he, he took Pat over to Capriccio's. He says, let's, let's, do, let's do this to Capriccio's. And he turned Capriccio's into Preachy. And became upscale casual. It was doing, you know, 450 plus covers a night. Mm -hmm. And then he said, you know what? We need a great steak restaurant. And he created Chops. Mm -hmm. And then the IBM, you know, tower was knocking on his door in Midtown. So can you just take over Vina Vitavici? Hmm. Just took it over. And then he moves on and keeps looking at Atlanta. And he's saying to himself, you know, with all the concepts that he did, you know, he felt like, you know, Southwest was sort of like a, a hot thing in Dallas and you had some great, you know, chefs there. And uh, so he felt like, you know, Atlanta deserved to have a great Southwest, a great Asian. He created Blue Point. Um, and then he went on to finally, you know, after all those years and in, in, in bringing certain ethnic restaurants to Atlanta, he finally went to his own home roots and, uh, you know, wanted to do Kima. Mm -hmm. So basically what he did was he just looked at Buckhead, he looked at Atlanta and he said, you know, what do we need? And he really wanted to give Atlanta restaurants that other major cities had. And he was willing to take that financial risk and do it and um, do it with restaurants that at a time when people were like, you know, Atlanta is nothing but meat and potatoes. And he just felt differently. He felt like if we could reach these, reach these people with great food and great service, that they're going to try any of the cuisines that we could bring here to the city. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he brought pretty much all the major sort of cuisines that you would ever imagine a big city having to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It's pretty amazing. And it, it takes a lot of guts to do that. For sure. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, I mean, I was just at Preachy, uh, probably in the summer, you know, right. in a weeknight jam packed. You know, but still like, you know, I mean, you've got like the, you know, the servers in their coats and it's got the different feel. And then, you know, but then like, I wonder because like I, I noticed this the first couple of times that I went to Buckhead Diner and then I'd been back and forth between either, you know, chops for like a, you know, dinner with, you know, business people or clients or whatever. And then same thing at Preachy. And then you go to Buckhead, you go to Buckhead, uh, Buckhead Diner and you start to kind of feel similar themes. You're like, I'm in a diner and it looks like a diner from the outside, but you walk in and you're like, wait a minute. Like this feels kind of familiar, you know? So, I mean, 
I think those those dotted lines between the different themes are, are really, you know, cuisine, really. Um, they start to, I think they still hold very true to their roots. I mean, I think, you know, what was built and, like, how you can kind of see, you know, still so much of the of the culture of, like, what Atlanta was in terms of dining and how it's still maintained so much truth in, in really where this was born out of. And it's done with excellence. And, I mean, again, like, the food is still solid it's just still right. like a really it's, it's a great menu for everybody so um it's um it's just really cool i mean i think you kind of get a chance to to step back into like the past like you know in some instances like you know almost 30 20 years of of atlanta and where we've you know i still feel like atlanta's in a, in a period where there's there's a lot of growth and and change in the culinary scene but there's still so much that's um that's celebrated not just some, like from an era of the culinary world but really what it meant for atlanta specific yeah like, it's, you know, it's really were, cool you know, when my, when, when my, when my dad decides he's going to open up a restaurant, it's got to be authentic and it's got to be first class. Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's a concept and he understands that more than anybody. And when he goes into it, he's 1000% in. So when he designs a restaurant with a designer, when he conceptualizes it with a designer, they don't just treat the floors the tables, the walls, but they treat the ceilings and they treat every little nook and cranny of a restaurant. Everything has gotten a finish on it. Everything has a touch. And, you know, obviously restaurants these days from a casual sense don't have to worry about the ceilings anymore. It's kind of cool to leave the air conditioned duct <laughs> open. <laughs> exactly. Some people paint it, some people don't. Right. Um, you know, it's okay to just, you know, instead of have a Venetian plaster on your wall, it's a curtain, mm -hmm. you know, um, so on and so forth. So it's just like, you know, those are, those are the standards of what he's all about. And also though, those standards is what has made him successful. So, you know, he wants to run first class operations and he won't do anything less. So that's why, you know, when you, when you go into some of the restaurants, you do see those, you know, those uniforms on the servers yeah. because they're fitting the concept. And that's sure. that's what someone should wear if they're in an Italian restaurant in Italy or if yeah. they're in a French restaurant or Greek restaurant. So on and so forth. So every little detail matters. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting, you know, because nowadays, I mean, there's so many different restaurateurs that have come to Atlanta um, and a lot of them homegrown, which is awesome. And it uh, doesn't matter if you're if you're serving Italian food or French food or you know, Asian food or whatever it is you're doing, everyone seems to, you know, get into a, a certain, you know, flannel shirt and, <laughs> sure. you know, pair of jeans. <laughs> yep. And there's nothing wrong with that because it's successful. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, everyone's starting to look a lot alike when it comes to the uniform and when it comes to the style of service. Mm -hmm. And then you go to back to bucket life and you're like, ah, okay, you know, yeah. here's the sommelier and, right. you know, here's the uh, the front waiter, yeah. the back waiter. It's, it's a breath of fresh air, yeah. you know? I mean, I, I think that there's, um, you know, again, you, you start to talk about things that... Um, will they make their way into the next generation? You know, Correct. I mean, I, I really hope that my kids have a chance to, you know, go to a, um, you know, I mean, maybe semi-fine dining, you know, you know, you might not be wearing, you know, coat and tails to go to dinner after the <laughs> opera or before, but, um, but for someone to like come tableside and like make crepe Suzette, you know, like that's, yeah. that's a cool experience where you can, you can see that it was someone who was trained by the person before them and the person before them. And it was, you do this with excellence, you know, kind of going back to talking about your Yaya, like there's, there's a beauty and an art to the way that she cooked, you know, and, you know, hopefully 
carrying that into, you know, the next generations. Like hopefully it's not just the, you know, fast version of, you know, are you really, you know, paying homage to how this was actually developed rather than you just getting the payoff of whatever it is that you're ordering. But that there is, you know, just as much of you actually ordering dessert, it's the experience, you know, and I hope that those, those kind of things like continue to make their way into, you know, the next couple generations of, of kids that are growing up now. Um, where I hope that, you know, they, they do get to go to Buckhead Diner or Preachy and they get to see like, you know, people in coats and there's a sommelier and people that know things about the culinary world that you don't just like Google. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I think those things do have um, the legs to withstand time. Sure. Like you said, we're hitting 40 um, coming up and, um, you know, it's it's a, it's amazing to have a restaurant that lasts longer than five years nowadays. Sure. You know, you, we're, we're down in Florida and. You know, the rule of thumb is if you make it past three months, it's it's a miracle. Right. And, uh, you know, it's like, wow, really? And uh, we do. We see a lot of restaurants go in and out of business, and it's a shame. And so that recipe, you know, for success is really you got to be a, you got to be a thousand percent in. Yeah. You know, be, be true to your concept. Yeah. And, and don't be afraid. If you're if you're going to be Italian, well, then be Italian and, and, and do it, you know to the best of your abilities and don't back off on anything just to compromise and be vanilla. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there's something really, I mean, great. I mean, again, like, you know, you're talking about like coming up on 40 years for Buckhead life, but coming up on 18 years here, or I mean, 18 years of, of Kima. And, um, you know, so, I mean, I, you know, I want to hear there, there's a, there's a portion of your life that is amazing <laughs> to me and possibly everybody else. But, you know, on your um, on your resume, you have Jean-Georges, you have Le Bernardin, and you also have Thomas Keller. Yeah. So tell me about like those, like briefly, you know, like those periods of your life and then like making your way, you know, back here to Atlanta and working at, you sure know, or, and, and then, you know, now you're here at Kima. So, um that's yeah, so um, you know, you know, I had I had I had those great summer jobs, you know, cooking in the kitchens of my father, mm-hmm. and um, they were huge lessons for me because they also taught me that this is what I want to do the rest of my life, and I never looked back. So coming out of high school, I wanted to go to Culinary Institute of America, where my father graduated, and to me is still the best culinary, um, you know, school that you can go to in the country. So mom and dad wanted me to get a degree. They wanted me to go to college. They didn't. So they wanted me to do it. So and they did this with my brother and my sister, too. So I wound up going to Florida State for a couple of years. They had a top 10 hospitality management degree. And then my sister left Georgia, University of Georgia, to go down to Florida International University down in North Miami. Mm-hmm. And if you look at that degree, it's number one in the, in the country. I said, well, shoot, I got to go down there now. And hmm. uh, so I left Florida State after two years, and I wound up graduating with that degree. And finally was able to go to Culinary Institute of America. Hmm. And that's where I was like, oh, my God, finally I get to go do it, you know, what I want to do, what I'm passionate about. And um, while I was there, I had to do my, inter- my uh, they call it an externship. Mm-hmm. So you got to find a place to work for six months. And then you go back to school. Um, so I was able to work for Eric Repaired at La Bernadette. And, uh, just Eric repair, just Eric repair. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, it, it, you know, it was obviously extremely helpful to that. I had worked these five summer jobs for my father because everybody in the country knew about my father, the crazy guy that has multiple restaurants. <laughs> no one knew how he did it. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, 
I started at La Bernadette. I was uh, one of the first externs ever to enter on the entrees. Most of them started with a prep job. And um, it was fight or flight. And it was just, you know, you had to go in there every single day and and put your head down and, and, and be able to cook at the level of La Bernadette, uh, which, you know, from inception was a four-star New York Times restaurant and uh, still holds that till today, longest standing, mm-hmm. and um, is a three-star Michelin restaurant at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved it. And I asked Eric Repairity even, I said, should I go back to Culinary Institute of America? He says, go back, finish, and come back. Hmm. So I did. And he became a mentor to me. Wow. And uh, sort of like my, you know, helped me guide me through my career of that level of cuisine in those cities. And so I worked another two years for him. Hmm. And while I was at culinary school, I actually used to come back on the weekends. Oh, to wow. take that train from uh, Poughkeepsie, New York, all the way to Manhattan. Wow. And go work at La Bernadette. So who knows how long that is. But at the end of the day, you know, full time, I worked about two and a half years wow. at La Bernadette. Yeah. And then... Uh, I wanted to learn meat, you mm-hmm. know, I was, I was doing seafood. Right. And, um, so he, chef and I talked about it and, um, you know, wanted to work for another great chef in the city. And he turned me on to Jean Georges and, uh, interviewed with Jean Georges. I interviewed with Daniel Balut as well. Oh, wow. A, I'm a huge fan of Daniel Balut. Yeah. And, um, uh, took the job with, uh, Jean Georges. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, before I started, Danielle called me up. He says, Pano, have you made up, made up your mind? Are you going to come work for me? And I said, Chef, I said, I hate, I hate to tell you this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work for Jean-Georges. <laughs> he said, oh, my God. He said, what position? And I said, well, meet Saucier. And that's like the highest position to yeah, like enter a restaurant. For sure. And he says, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I can only offer you Poissonnier, which is the fish, fish station. Oh, wow. And he says, but I can, I can promise you a meat station in, uh, in uh, six months. Mm-hmm. And I just said to myself, I can't, you know, I'm just dying to do meat, you know. Yeah. So I thanked him, and I went on, and I worked for Jean-Georges, and I uh, was just blown away from his mind. It's just amazing. And it was cool working for him, too, because he, he kept asking me all kinds of questions about Bucket Life. He wanted to know everything. How... You know, how we do our accounting. Is it in, you know, in each restaurant or is it all handled at, you know, the corporate level, uh, marketing? Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked me so many questions. I just have to go home and ask my dad and say, you know, how do we do it? Yeah. I don't even know. <laughs> I haven't worked for you in that <laughs> level. So, uh, you know, then he goes off and he has, I think, something crazy like 35 restaurants worldwide. Right. So, um, but, you know, working for him was amazing. And uh, I was with him for almost two years. And that same thing, it was just time to... Instead of time, instead of time to move up into management, you know, get a sous chef job, it was time to move on and learn another way of cooking mm-hmm. from another great chef. I interviewed with uh, Danielle one more time, and a friend of mine was getting married in Sonoma. I said, you know, I'm, I'm gonna go interview with Thomas Keller. I mean, back then you have to understand, I had an IBM ThinkPad that surfing the the web. I mean, it was. It, it was a painful process. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't even know what Google was. I mean, I, right. you know, so at the end of the day, it was, you know, magazine, one magazine article with Thomas Keller in it. And that was, I was going by and, um, went out and had the most amazing, uh, interview stage, got the full introduction of French laundry. Wow. Um, he offered me a job. Um, and, uh, 
So I decided it was time to just leave Manhattan and mm -hmm. uh, roll the dice. I'm glad I did. Um, it, again, it would have been great to have worked for Danielle, but, um, you know, glad I did. And I, I went out to the French Laundry and I learned from Thomas. And uh, at that time, um, he had Bouchon in Vegas, but he wasn't there as often. Um, he had Bouchon in Yountville, but he wasn't there. He was every night at the French Laundry. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the cool thing is when I worked for Eric Repair, he was proving to everybody that LeBernadin was worth the four stars that he had just received after Gilbert Lacoz had died, who mm -hmm. was the creator and founder. And he ran that pass every night. And he was tough to work for. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you read about him today. Back then, he was tough. And when um, I moved on to Jean-Georges, he had just come out with his first cookbook. And he was at his restaurant every single night. And then when I worked for Thomas Keller, he'd come out with his first cookbook, and he was working every night. Matter of fact, Thomas and I had the same days off, so the whole time I was there, I worked the same nights as, wow. as, as Chef Keller, and he ran the pass. So I worked at an interesting time with those people. It's almost like basically saying, okay, you know, you, you, you worked two and a half years for Eric Repair, but what I got out of those two and a half years might take someone five nowadays. Mm. And the same thing goes with Jean-Georges and Thomas Keller. I mean, you were able to work right there with those guys, right. the creators of these great companies now. Yeah. Before the world seemed to shrink a little bit. And I, I mean, you look at whatever Netflix special. I mean, and Eric Repair having his own show, which I really yeah. love, by the way. Yeah. And um, Avec Eric, yeah. Yeah. And, but it, it seems like it, it shrunk the um, some of the mystery, you know? I mean, I remember back when I was watching Great Chefs of the West with my mom, you mm -hmm. know, and then like reading you know, with or with her, like out of cookbooks and everybody only spoke French, you know, right. and, um, but you know, reading about restaurants in Sonoma and Napa and then like, you know, as time went on, like you start hearing about the French laundry it's like, I don't know what that is. Like, right. I, but then like, it was just like this, some, this restaurant that had such reverence, you know, and, um, it was, uh, it was really interesting to like, you start seeing Thomas Keller on, you know, TV shows now, you know, and yeah. it's almost made him, you know, more of an accessible figure. It's like, but I, I never knew him that way. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> it just seems like, you know, he's one of the most like prolific chefs that's ever had a restaurant in North America. <laughs> you know, we used to work, uh, 15, 15 hour days yeah. on average. So sometimes 14, sometimes 16. And he was right there with us. Man. I mean, and, and what an amazing butcher sauce maker, um, you know, creator of a, of a recipe and, um, you know, and also what he was is an amazing, um, mentor to cooks who were just getting at that point of creativity and taking them into his system and actually letting that flower sort of bloom man and and it was amazing and um so i used to go to work every single day excited about the the the, the plates that i created the night before for chef thomas keller at the french laundry so i could get in there make them have service and then that night we got around the table with a glass of wine and we all sat around and recreated the menu again hmm. and it was an opportunity every single night to sort of come up with your own combinations mm -hmm. and um he just wanted you to stay in his format which was you know center of the plate at the time and um you know keeping within his weights and measurements of portions mm -hmm. and um you know if uh, you struggled, then you went to a French Laundry classic, you know, a Thomas classic, and there's, so there's nothing wrong with that. If you came up with something that could make the menu, you know, 
it was decided right then and there how it, how it would be done so that it fits his standards and, and, and quality level. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he empowered his, his cooks to become chefs. And that's why so many people from the French Laundry are successful restaurateurs. Yeah. And uh, that's what he taught me. And so, and so to go back to what your question was, it was like, you know, how did it come full circle about Kid Life? Well, I was putting my shoes on, getting ready to go to work. And I got a phone call from my dad. Hmm. And little did I know he had signed the lease at this restaurant, Kima. And um, what year was this? It was back in uh, 2000. Oh, so wow. Yeah, man. Long time ago. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I know like 18 years, man. Like, yeah. So he yeah. So he uh, he assigned the lease and Mm -hmm. uh, he asked me, he said, you know, he said, hey, how long are you going to keep working for all these other chefs? (laughs) When are you going to come home? And he said, "Um, you know, you know, I need you to come back. And those are the words I always wanted to hear. I mm. never wanted to be the son that the father gave a job to that couldn't meet the standards of a restaurant or be the best that he could possibly be because maybe he just was learning on the job and didn't have the training that he needed. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but at the level of restaurants that my dad has, you got to really be an incredible chef. So at the end of the day, you know, those are the words I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And that's why I sort of made sure that when I was at Culinary Institute of America and I was learning about all these great chefs in the country, that I wanted to go work for them. Hmm. And so uh, it all sort of paid off and uh, came home and um, also at the same time, you know, started a family. So here I am uh, trying to, you know, make my mark in Atlanta. I've got the same name as my father. You know, I've got a lot of critics out there who are going to want to see if I'm, you know, worth my salt or resume. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, it, it's been a fun experience and opening this restaurant, I, if there was a movie camera on me, I'd, it would have gone viral for <laughs> every single day for like <laughs> at, at least five, 10 years. I mean, it was, it was craziness and it was a whole entire New York vibe. Things I learned from Thomas all culminating in this restaurant, mm-hmm. taking a, a, a food, a cuisine that is really best made at home mm-hmm. you know if you go to greece the best restaurants actually don't compare to what a yaya is making at home right and um in taking sort of like that whole concept that that chef keller did with taking french foods that are normally cooked at home mm-hmm. and then elevating them to fine dining and um i wasn't sure what my dad had in mind with kima until I came back in town and I started to see some of the designs and then the building of this space. And I said, oh, my God, you know, this is like a palace. Yeah. I was like, you know, I thought we were going to open up, you know, like a, a, a traditional Greek restaurant, but extremely done well. Yeah. Do something almost like a bucket diner style of a Greek restaurant, you know, something that is, you know, still fine dining, high end quality ingredients and all that good stuff. And instead, he wanted to go all the way out and do a Posado Taverna, import fish from all over the world. And... Um, you know, everything be super, super pristine. So I can see why, you know, he wanted me to come back in town, having mm-hmm. worked for who I work for. And that's sure. what, that's what Kima is all about. Yeah. You know, and then all these beautiful little recipes that we've done over the year, we finally put them in a cookbook for everybody. Yeah. You know, and I was going to say, I mean, like 18 years of this restaurant, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, you know, you say three months, I mean, now, you know, is, is an amazing 
milestone, oddly enough. You right. Know, I mean, back, yeah. you know, back in like the 80s and 90s, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, you're going to open a restaurant, like if everything's based on profitability and like the competition, like it's just smaller rings. And, you know, but now it's, you know, let's make it 12 months, you know, and like <laughs> right. we are working our asses off to get to 12 months, you know, or even three months, you know, and like you're just trying to chase after, you know, like your your vision. And it's it's there's so much more like it's. um. I mean, it's just this hyper intense, like competitive landscape nowadays with opening restaurants. But, you know, being 18 years in and, you know, serving, you know, Mediterranean cuisine here from Kima to Atlanta, you know, for, I mean, you're, you know, round up to coming up on 20 years is amazing, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, it's, it's funny. I mean, if you've never, I mean, if you're from Atlanta, you've probably been here multiple times, but for so many people that, you know, haven't actually been here, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's quite the menu. And I mean, again, like some of the things that are really fun for me. I mean, I love Mediterranean cuisine. Like there's never a time that I've ever turned down Spanakopita or especially something right. where, um, one of my, one of my really close friends from Charlotte, his whole family, um, I mean, I've been to like multiple Greek Orthodox weddings and you know, right. I mean, like just been really close to their family and, um, just some of the most amazing pastry that I've ever had. And I don't even know what it is. You know, it's just right. like, well, yeah, there's like, you know, they're like, oh, there's nuts and all that type of stuff. Like it, it tastes <laughs> like the most exotic thing I've ever had. So I love, love Greek food. And, um, but you know your your menu is is very um, it's really versatile here. I mean I think you've yeah. got you've got a really great way um, for people to approach the the menu in a lot of great ways. And I mean speaking to that, you know vegans, you know like, there's a there's a whole section of your menu that really speaks to to catering to the guest. I mean I right. think what you have here is you know far more than just like a, a restaurant. I mean it's really a it's a really cool way for everybody to approach Greek cuisine you know, and like the Mediterranean flavor and, um, kind of in their own route. It's really yeah. cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the restaurant, the menu, it, it, it has a huge outreach. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people that understand the cooking of whole fish and they just, they come here for that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, some of it gets a little, you know, pricey or expensive, but for those people, you know, they know it and that's why they're here. They're paying for it. They can't get anywhere else. The way we're cooking it, treating it, everything's wild caught. You know, it's it's basically, you know, the best of the best. But then the menu goes in other directions, too, mm -hmm. to where, you know, we have some of the Greek, you know, um, staples. And, and people can indulge on, you know, lesser expensive entrees, like the lamb shank that's braised and finished with a, these sour little pasta pearls called trakana. Mm -hmm. And uh, it uses the liquid from the braising liquid to soak up the pasta. And then you finish it with a little fresh tomato compote and this beautiful, you know, mazith or cheese. Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are the other items that people come here for. And then what everybody comes here for are all the meze. Mm -hmm. You know, people will come here and actually just order meze. Mm -hmm. Two people come. They, you can order easily five meze and, and leave here full and happy. And... Um, you know, that's another part of what this restaurant's about. Then there's the vegan vegetarian route. I said, you know, there's so much that we do that's vegan vegetarian that I can easily make a menu. And I've got a menu of about 40, 45 items, vegan, vegetarian. The menu split for vegan on one side, vegetarian on the other. I've got a huge vegan vegetarian following mm -hmm. because they're like, you know, hey, if we want to, this is the only white tablecloth sort of fine dining, right. you know, great service, <laughs> vegan, vegetarian restaurant in the city of Atlanta. Right. And um, the dishes are composed. And I kind of learned that from Thomas Keller. Um, you know, when we had a vegan vegetarian tasting menu. So some people are coming in for that nine course tasting menu French Laundry is known for. But there are a lot of people coming in for the vegan vegetarian menu. Mm -hmm. And he always 
he taught me ways of making that that vegetable the star of a dish. So like, you know, when I was growing up, it was like as soon as you had a vegan or a vegetarian, they're like, oh, do the vegetarian entree. And it was just, okay, how fast can I put everything that's a vegetable on a plate? Mm-hmm. And I, in my opinion, it was like, this is not special. And I kind of knew that, you know, but then all of a sudden I worked for Thomas. He put it all together. And it's like, how can I take fennel, braise it whole, create a beautiful fennel broth, mm-hmm. cool the fennel down, cut it in half. And then if someone from my vegan or vegetarian family that comes in here, they order that fennel, I'm going to caramelize it. I'm going to give it a beautiful color, hit it with some olive oil, a little bit of garlic and thyme, splash that on the fennel. That way it can go either vegan or vegetarian. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to take that broth and I'm going to let that broth soak up a pasta. And the pasta that I use is similar to like a couscous. And then we're going to have a fennel flavored broth that goes underneath the fennel with a cheese if you're vegetarian or no cheese and toasted almonds. And it's just like, you know, we've made that fennel the star of the dish. So everything's composed. Yeah. Can we order like three of those right now? Yeah, we can. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds amazing. And uh, yeah, I mean, also another just like total side note to that, like, more people need to realize that fennel fronds are actually really great. It's not just the bulb that's like right. super, super flavorful and, you know, unique. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's just. It's silly to throw all that away. Yeah. It's all flavor. The stocks, totally. are, the stocks are great for stock. They're a little fibrous. Big and time. then the, the fronds are just like, they look like dill. And yeah. they have all the flavor you have. Big time. That, that, that recipe is also in modern Greek cooking. And modern Greek cooking, when I made that cookbook, actually focuses on the cuisines that I do here and have done that have been inspired by my family or friends or of Greece or whoever. And so, you know, the book kind of takes you through the journey of Kima, which is really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's actually a great way to shift into, I mean, you wrote a cookbook, right? (laughs) You know, I mean, I don't want to spend just a second there because, um, huge undertaking, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. I've, I've watched my, my parents, you know, toil over cookbooks. I mean, when you get into, you know, writing the recipes and then you get one round of edits and then you get two and then three and then four and then, you know, then it's like, who am I going to have to strangle to stop this madness? And then, you know, you're shooting the cookbook. I mean, like just doing, um, one, you know, and watching the process happen. I mean, um, but especially, you know, with, um, I mean, again, like from the Buckhead life perspective, like you guys don't slow down, you know? And so to, to have like such, um, you know, such an amazing collection of recipes that you've written and that you've served over the years and now having that in print format. And and, and again, like I, I really love cookbooks, you know, from, from the perspective of, you know, they, they are a tool, you know, but also the story behind, you know, what's the inspiration and you're like, I mean, you know, so much of, of your life has made its way into your book. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's fun. Like you kind of pair the, the story, you know, almost, um, almost as if it's a novel, but then it is a, a tool that you can use in your kitchen. And I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, what, what's, what are your thoughts on, um, you know, people actually using the cookbook, like in their kitchen, you know, like get in there, like get your hands dirty and start using this thing. Right. You know, um, I feel like that's, you know, I mean, if you collect cookbooks, that's great, but yeah. you know, um, I think it's, it's also really cool to see, you know, that people can, you know, recreate something that they might've had here at Kima. And, right. you know, now it's like, now it's sitting on your countertop. Exactly. I mean, listen, I mean, at the end of the day, the title, Modern Greek Cooking, why? Well, because these are recipes that are coming out of a restaurant that has taken these home-cooked recipes and elevated it. So it's not that we're using 
you know, chemicals or immersion circulators or anything that's of modern technique, it's basically taking the modern approach of taking a recipe and, and executing it at a, at a high level. But then how do I put it into a cookbook where it's easy for people to cook? So basically, you know, what, what happened with the book was, you know, you've got, you've got these, a lot, of, a lot of people that wanted the book to come out whether I'm doing food and wine festivals or I'm traveling or just people who come to this restaurant or all of the cooks that I've had in this restaurant. And so there's, there was a lot of people asking for the book and I said, finally, I'm going to do it. You know, it's a great way to document your work mm-hmm. as well and, and, and show the importance of it. But none of that's good unless you get a publisher. I mean, it's like, you know, because then all of a sudden you're making a book that, you know, is going to be a different style book and there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to do something that is really unique and, and cool, then, you know, it, it helps to have, sort of the guidance of a, like a, a company like Rizzoli who published my book. And at that point, you know, you've got to put it together. So I went after, in my opinion, you know, one of the best photographers in, in this country. His name's Francesco Tonelli. He's world renowned. His work is amazing. We bonded. He wanted to work for, me, work for the book, work for me. He came, we shot the book. The, be- the, the pictures are beautiful, phenomenal, you know, um, he wanted me to style all the food the way that I do in the restaurant and also make it real because when he was done shooting, he wanted to taste everything. So there's no, hmm. no chemicals in it, no, no, nothing to make it look a certain way that's <laughs> right. not edible. Um, and, um, and the rest is just the fact that he's a brilliant photographer and he hmm. can make, it, make you know, all these little nuances of a dish sort of stand out and become attractive. So the book is something that you could put on your tablecloth, but the recipes that are in those photos are real and we ate them afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then the recipes behind the recipes were also meticulously written by Jane Siegel. And she has her own book. Mm-hmm. She's written for food and wine magazine, wall street journal. Yeah. She's, she's done it all in the writing she's world. Famous man. She's famous. Yeah. Big time. And, uh, you know, she loved the idea of this book from the get go. Mm-hmm. And, um, a lot large in part too, that I included wines that we can talk about too. But at the end of the day, you know, she tested every single recipe in her in her home up in Rochester. Wow. And she yeah, she came to the restaurant for about a good week and just tasted the way that I cook, the flavors, the acidity, you know, the olive oil, everything that I do. And she took that in, she went up, and I started giving her recipes over email. And um, you know, she tested every single one of them. Wow. And if there was something that she just was not it wasn't happening she would let me know about it i would retest it and uh maybe find out you know a little mistake either in her you know my oven versus her oven or maybe it was an an actual mistake on the quantities but we fixed everything so you know the cool thing about this book is you know it is a documentary of everything i've done at kima it is modernizing greek food and to a level that is you know unique extraordinary and then at the same time too it's a it's a great picture book storybook all the stories kind of stuff that we talk about today is in the book you know my career my dad's career mm-hmm. how i got into chemo and some of the chefs that i work for all that's in the book and then uh on top of it you know i've got this incredible writer that i that i teamed up with so um it's it was an awesome experience it took about two and a half to three years to <laughs> make the book it's gonna be my next question <laughs> yeah and uh it was intense you're right this is bug life restaurant group everyone's busy how do you even do it? Uh, my former chef de cuisine is now our purchasing director. 
And instead of starting his job at nine, he started at seven. He would meet me here at nine after carpool Man. with my kids. And from nine, 11, 30, 12 o'clock every day until we got every single recipe done, we worked on the cookbook in the morning. Man. And then I'd start my job. Man. Yeah. No, it's, it's one of those cookbooks, you know, that, um, you know, came out this year. And um, I mean, again, it, it's it's really exciting for me. I mean, I, I get a lot of like, you know, hometown Atlanta rah-rah going whenever like there's an Atlanta chef that's doing something that has like an, a national implication or approach, you know. So, I mean, like I'm always like high-fiving myself if there's no one next to me to high-five. So I always look at that. Like even, um, you know, Todd Richard's book, you know, seeing Soul come out this year. I was just like, man, that is so it's just so cool to like flip through these pages and hear so much of like your story. And that's why right. it's like, I, you know, I, I want to have like this conversation because I mean like there's so much rich detail in there and then, but you've kind of got it like locked away in this book that you can flip through at any time, <laughs> you know, like, um, your, uh, your story is really awesome, man. And I mean, I just, I think, you know, so much of, you know, I mean, growing up in the industry and then, I mean, you've got like this triple threat, I mean, of three restaurants that I want to visit sometime in my life, right. um, you know, is, uh, is, is amazing. And then, you know, I mean, now you've, you're coming up, you know, close to, I mean, again, 18 years, I mean, pretty soon it's going to be 20 and then you're going to be celebrating 25, <laughs> you know? Um, that's crazy. yeah, you know, it's, um, that's, that's pretty prolific work, man. So thank you. High five to you. <laughs> yeah. It's been an amazing ride. Yeah. My, and, um, you have my son, my son, Pan, who's 17. Uh, he was crawling on the floor. Wow. You know, in year one of the restaurant. Right. Um, each of his birthdays, we used to celebrate him here in front of the lineup. Mm-hmm. And the, all the, the front of the house staff is getting ready for me to say the specials. And I'm going over the specials. And Pan is sitting there on a chair like, why? Why has dad got me sitting here? Mm-hmm. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, we sing happy birthday to him and he turns <laughs> around and we lift the linen off a drum set. Oh, what? or the next year, a linen off a bike. And then there's Pano with a bike and training wheels riding through the restaurant before service. It's awesome. And, uh, you know, did it with Lucas and did it with Sophia. And it's so it's it's been uh, when I look back on the whole 18 years, it's it's not just about, you know, the time that goes into it and the different services that we had. But it's it's also my family and my kids and. Um, you know, my father, my brother and every, all just the effort that the whole family puts into the restaurant. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, I know that you mentioned you have three kids, uh, yeah. which of the three or all of the three, uh, are, are looking like they're going to be picking up the reins or, or, <laughs> or even taking their own route into the culinary world. Well, you know, on the way to the, the restrooms, there is a photo of Pano and Lucas, uh, with chef whites on when they're, uh, something like uh, six and three. Oh wow. And, um, it's the cutest photo in the world and they all start out in the kitchen. And uh, Sophia, too. Um, but then they get busy with sports and they get busy with yeah. life. So right now it's a question of, you know, are, are they ready to come back to the kitchen? Do they want to come back to the kitchen? And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a subject that we talk about. And um, I definitely want to support them in anything they want to do. So the, uh, the question's still out there. Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I have a feeling that they're going to stay pretty close to what their dad has done. You know? <laughs> we'll <laughs> but, see. Yeah. But, um, but man, I... Um, it's, it's just such an honor to have you on the show, man. I, I'm, I'm so, so thrilled just to see, you know, how much history, you know, your family has poured into Atlanta. And as you continue on, you know, here at Kima and, you know, um, you know, picking up your book is, um, I mean, again, like I, I, I 
I'm definitely more of like the eating variety when it comes to to modern Greek cooking. Um, so I, <laughs> I I'm probably better off coming here. But I mean, I, I do love spending time in the kitchen. So um, you know, it's uh, it's just really exciting to see so much of your life on pages of a book. So, um, but again, just a huge honor, man. Thanks for thanks for being on the show. Thank so, you. Yeah. So we'll see you here at Kima relatively soon. You got it. <laughs> thanks, We're ready. Thanks, Chef. All right. <laughs> If you've yet to experience the concepts that Chef Pano and his family have created, be sure to check out Kima and dive straight into that vegan menu. You won't be disappointed. And also, if you're an existing fan like me, you can pick up Chef's book on Amazon and many, many other places. Just check out the episode page for a little bit more info. And many thanks go out to Chef and his family and all of the folks at Buckhead Life for making this episode come together. Here's to another four decades feeding Atlanta and many other cities. This podcast is recorded all over our beautiful city and edited on the east side of town by me, your host. Hello again. Our design is headed up by JJ Getz. And if you like what you hear, you can support the show on Patreon for just $5 a month. Just check out our website for a little bit more information. I'm your host, Ben Getz, and you've been listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Stay hungry. <laughs>